0: You are listening to the First Baptist Jinx podcast. To learn more about FBC Jinx, including our gathering times, visit us online at fbcjinx.org. Today's talk comes from Pastor Cody Brumley. Thank you for joining us uh, for church today, for those watching online, and for those that are over in the overflow service. Just thank you so much uh, for being here and making room for others. Uh, the text that you heard recited by our kids earlier, which was my favorite part of the day so far, uh, is actually our text for uh, our study today. So if you have Bibles, open up to Luke chapter 2. If you, or if you have your Bible journal, you can open up to Luke chapter 2. And we are going to actually study through the arrival of Jesus. So we're looking at, and this happens in three scenes it happens where the good news, which is Jesus, he arrives. And then we have the good news announced. And then we have the good news advanced. So we're going to start with the arrival of this good news. Chapter 2, verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now this first scene does a number of things for us. The first thing that it does is it sets this moment in history. So the story of Jesus is not once upon a time. It's not some mythical, inspiring, displaced story. It's a very specific story about a specific moment in human history which means Jesus was born into the time when Caesar Augustus was ruling. He was born into that moment, not the second registration that happened around AD 6, that was more popularly known, but the, the first registration that happened while Quirinius was governor. So it's, he's making this historical claim, which is deeply important for Theophilus, who is getting this letter, but for us readers today. Do we believe in the history of Jesus? Because if indeed this child was specifically born at this time, it means God incarnate dwelt with humanity. And if that happened, then whatever happens out of the life of that individual, God on earth is the most important thing that we need to know. What he said, what he taught, how he lived, the work he accomplished, nothing is more important than what this individual does. And so you have to wrestle with the reality Of this person. And so not only is it set though in history in an evidence-giving way, it's also set against history. In this way, whenever we hear the good news, the good news confronts our view of history. Because we would read this moment that Jesus arrives and it reads from a very earthly perspective. Consider for just a moment if you didn't know any of the rest of the story. You know, know nothing that led up to this. You know nothing that comes from this. All you know is verses 1 through 7. And if you were to read this as a part of history, you would find it incredibly insignificant. You would look at this and you would say, okay, what, what do we see? Caesar Augustus is the one that's in charge. He was known for making peace after a war-torn time, and so he's a really popular leader. He says the word, I want the whole world to be registered, and the world moves. You would say if there's one person who's pulling the strings of where Mary and Joseph are going to be, it's Caesar Augustus. It's a political leader. And so not only is he in charge, you would look at this from an earthly narrative and say the timing is off. The fact that they have to travel miles to another town whenever she's just about to give birth. It seems like terrible timing. The place seems wrong. They don't even have a place to go. They leave and there's no room in the inn. They end up apparently in some form of stable where there's going to be a manger for Jesus. And so the, the place is wrong. The timing is wrong. The people are wrong. Forgetting what we know about the story, imagine for a moment that you're in Bethlehem, you've come back to Bethlehem, and here's all, here's all these outsiders from all over showing up, and one of them happens to be an unwed pregnant couple about to give birth, and they don't even have the foresight or the family to be in an inn anywhere, so they're tucked away in a stable and she's going into labor. Like it's one of those scenes. most people aren't like, "This is a wonderful thing. I'm going to hang out for this." This is where you go, "That's really unfortunate. Here's some people that probably made some bad decisions and like look, they're back there. This We're just going to stay over here. From the worldly, earthly narrative, that is a poor, indecent couple in a really bad situation. And we roll our eyes at them and probably the decisions they made. If you just have this narrative, that is what you would think. And what that does is it. the good news that we know, the full picture, actually... Well, it contrasts our view of significance. Not just our view of history and the way that history plays out from our earthly narrative, but we look at this, and it confronts our view of what's significant. Because you look at this, and you would say, that is insignificant. A baby being born to an unwed couple in a dark corner. That, this probably happens places all over, all the time, and that doesn't matter. And it confronts our idea of comfort and glory. Because you read this and there's nothing comfortable about that birth. There's no comfort that we have, see that Mary has. There's no glory to this moment. It's a pretty inglorious birth. Which, at least for me, I won't speak for you, confronts a false belief that, that I can fall into regarding if I'm obeying God and if I'm a godly person, if I do things God's way, then on th- this side of heaven, I'm going to experience some comfort and some notoriety. Now, maybe you wouldn't say that out loud, but anybody just want to be like, Cody, maybe I've thought that, believed that, acted like that. Any Confession, it's good for the soul. I've been there. I've caught myself thinking, God, if I'm doing what you asked me to do, then life shouldn't be this uncomfortable. If I'm doing what you asked me to do, there should be a certain amount of favor or, or notoriety or glory that goes along with this. And this flies in the face of that, doesn't it? The arrival of Jesus, God himself, Mary, fully obedient, let it be. And where do we find them? In what from an earthly narrative is completely without comfort, completely without glory, as humble and lowly as you can imagine. That's where we find them. So much so, Matthew Henry writes about it this way. He, God, well knew how unwilling we are to be meanly lodged, clothed, or fed how we desire to have our children decorated and indulged, how apt the poor are to envy the rich and how prone the rich are to disdain the poor. But when we, by faith, view the Son of God being made man and lying in a manger, our vanity, ambition, and envy are checked. We cannot, with this object rightly before us, seek great things for ourselves or our children. When we recognize the lowly state of Jesus' arrival. There's no way to think, hey, this side of heaven, comfort and glory are attached to godliness. It's clear that they're not. Which also confronts our view of God's memory. As As if God had approached Mary and said, hey, you're going to have this baby and you're going to fulfill these plans and this is going to be great. And then the angel leaves and Now Mary gets all the way to this moment, and they're on their way on this multiple-mile trek. It would be within reason for her to think, where's the angel now? A travel agent angel would have been super helpful. Maybe the booking.com angel could go before us and at least reserve us a room. That would be great. I'm sure there's a moment where Joseph is like, where's the delivery angels? There's a cow. I'm trying to get a baby here. Like... Where, where's God now? It would be well within reason to consider how lowly, uncomfortable, and unglorious of a moment they're in that maybe they, they questioned. But, Scripture records none of that. It doesn't give us their opinions of the moment they were in and their obedience. All we know is Mary said, let it be, and now it was, it was being, it was happening. Which Its absence actually reminds us of another truth, that maybe what the world needs most from Christians is our obedience instead of our opinions. Maybe what they need to read is our life of living by faith, even in uncomfortable and inglorious situations. Even when the world's narrative says that this is bad, but Christians still live knowing God is in control, maybe they need that more than our narratives about how we read the situation. Because there is a narrative here as well that conflicts the earthly one. The earthly one says uncomfortable, unthought, unplanned, out of place. None of this seems right. And meanwhile, another narrative is told. The good news is announced, verse 8. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not. Fear not. heaven is rejoicing. There is a heavenly narrative where they have a better perspective of all human history and what God is doing, and they are bursting forth with glory. So here's these shepherds. It's it's nighttime, it's dark, they're watching sheep, and suddenly they're surrounded, engulfed in light. It says the glory of the Lord shone around them. They're engulfed in a specific light, the light that lit up the... the, the flaming bush, the light that was uh, on the mountain, the light that was in the tabernacle, the light that was in the temple, like this Shekinah glory is the word you used for it. A unique glory of God light illuminates them. And it's not in the temple now. It's on the hillside. It is with them. The glory of God breaking out. And that's where they find themselves. And then Luke tells us this angel appears and he stays consistent with his order of what happens whenever an angel appears. He's been building this evidence, right? So, The angel shows up. There's fear on the person who receives them. The angel says, do not fear. And what I want us to notice today is the angel gives a reason not to fear. Because when God tells us not to fear, God gives us reasons not to fear. He doesn't say blind faith. He always gives evidence. For Zechariah, whenever he said, don't fear, he said, why? Because your prayers have been heard. God sent the angel, don't be afraid because God hears you when you pray. And then when Mary is, is fearful and she's troubled at the saying, the angel says, don't be afraid because you are highly favored by God. God sees you, Mary. You don't need to be afraid because God has seen you. God has chosen you. You didn't choose him, but, but he chose you. So you shouldn't be afraid. And then to the shepherds, don't be afraid. Why? Because I'm bringing good news, not judgment. I'm bringing good news to you for everybody. That word good news will later be translated gospel in a lot of the gospel accounts. So if you're around Christian literature or media or just church, you're going to hear the word gospel thrown around a lot, which just means God's good news. When you hear that word gospel, that's what you should think. When we share the gospel, we're sharing God's good news. We live the gospel. We're living out. God's good news is true. I say that's why you shouldn't be afraid. And so I'll just tell you this. If you find yourself in a moment where fear is driving, there's a number of things that lead us into fear. But if you find yourself there, don't just quote to yourself the command. Quote to yourself the reasons the command is true. Don't just preach to your heart, don't, I shouldn't fear, I shouldn't fear. Follow with why shouldn't I fear. And the reason we shouldn't fear is because of the good news. The good news is found in verse 11. The gospel is our reason not to fear. When you think about any of it long enough, the fact that the Savior who is Christ, the Lord has come to you. The gospel in one verse. Three words. Savior, Christ, Lord. The only time that these three words appear together in scripture and they're defining Jesus. The totality of who he is. And this was good news to the shepherds. The shepherds are going to respond by saying Lord later. The shepherds, they're a vicinity in Bethlehem watching sheep. uh, It's likely that these were some of the sheep that would be used in the tabernacle. Or uh, I'm sorry, in the temple. And so what we see is uh, Jewish heritage shepherds who would have known that they needed good news. They would have known they needed a savior because it's only good news if you know you need it, right? Um, Has anybody been in a situation where other people get news that is good and they get really excited and you have no idea why? It's super awkward. Like someone leans in the room and they're like, they're here. and Everyone's like, yeah! And so you go, great! Who? Where do they come from and why are we actually excited, right? Like I need a whole lot of context to have your level of joy. So the, the shepherds had a whole lot of context, the entirety of the Old Testament. They had the whole story of humanity that the Lord, to use the words in reverse, the Lord, God, omnipotent, holy creator of all things and all time, God had made man and that we had broken away from God by sin. We rejected God and we wanted to be the authority of our own life. He knew that. And so God said, behold, I'm going to make all things right again. God made a promise back at the very beginning that he would restore the relationship between him and man. And he was orchestrating this through what would be called the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. So when you see Christ, it's, it's this promised one that would sit on the throne of David that they've been waiting for for generations to make everything right. And he is the one that was going to deliver them or save them. So when they hear the word, the good news, to you, there's the Savior, the deliverer. He's Christ, the promised one, and he's the Lord. He's not just a person God is working through like he has in the past. He is God. This is the totality of who Jesus is. This is the good news, and it's only good if you know you need it. If you're in this room today and nothing about faith has ever felt like good news, you have to start with the bad news. You have to accept that there is a Lord. You will answer to him. He is all-powerful and omnipotent. And at the end of your days, you will face that God. And you can face him based on the work that Jesus did and live the rest of this life being his child. That's good news, right? So, So the good news shows up. In one verse, and as soon as he says it, the angel continues on to say, hey, there, there's also a sign, because that's what the angels do. They would give a sign. This sign is that you're going to find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Now, the sign was not swaddling clothes. It's not like there was just a whole bunch of babies in mangers, all right? They're just walking around, and they're like, that baby's got a onesie. That one's naked. That, that one's swaddled. Maybe, like, the, the swaddling's pretty normal. It's the manger. That's what stands out. The baby is not where a baby is supposed to be. There's just going to be one. And that's the story of Jesus' life. It's really important to recognize this. There's not a place for him to lay his head, so they're putting him in a manger. Nine, uh, Luke 9, Jesus is going to teach and say, foxes have dens, birds have their nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He never had a place to call his own. He was buried inside of a borrowed tomb. Jesus, in this life, had nothing but the will of God and the people God gave him. That is it. And so if, so if we are looking this side of heaven for, with those cravings for comfort and those cravings for glory, we have to look at Jesus and say, in his birth, in his life, and in his death, he had none. And if he had none, well, why, why would I want anything for myself that Jesus didn't even want for himself? He had a better way. So it's fitting that his sign would be in this place. By the way, this is just one more reminder. We already saw this with Mary. The source of discomfort for Mary, the source of humility, the source of why on earth would would he be born in a cave in a manger somewhere else, and they have to endure that silently, was the very same thing God was gonna use to inspire faith in the shepherds. And so it works to remind us that God does not need great things or great people in order to, to declare where he's working. God doesn't need great things. He doesn't need great people to be able to say, this is my handiwork. He needs Simple, ordinary, daily men and women, children, people who say, God, I'm offering my life. I will walk in obedience to you no matter how uncomfortable and glorious it looks. I will be faithful with you and trust that God may even use the hardest of your situation for someone to show up and look and say, that lets me know God is at work. We have to be willing to walk in that. And that's what happens with the shepherds. They receive this news. The heavens burst open. And whenever the heavens burst open, it's like they they peel back and they get a view of part of the army of God that is singing the song, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. And so there's a parallel there. There's glory to God who's in the heavens, and then there is peace to man who's on earth. These two different places are experiencing two different things. In this moment, God is being completely glorified because his plan is working out. That's the heavenly perspective. The earthly perspective is that man is finally able to be at peace with God. And this is all, it says, with those whom he's well pleased. It means uh, that is God's greatest pleasure to do this. It is God's good and pleasing will that he can make peace with people. And so if you've ever thought God would somehow respond to you poorly if you were to admit that you were a sinner to God, that he'd be ashamed of you, that he'd reject you, that he'd be disappointed in you. It is God's greatest pleasure when sinners tell God, I believe. It is his greatest pleasure to make peace between God and man. Let God experience that joy of you acknowledging your sin and following him. So all of this takes place. Verse 15 says that angels went away from them into heaven. I think about this moment probably more than I should. The shepherds are there. They've been engulfed in light. An angel speaks. They get like a choir performance. They didn't even, that was free. And so that happens. They're like, that's amazing. And then they like, they go up into heaven and then it's nighttime again, right? Crickets, sheep or sheeping over here, whatever they do. And they're standing there. And I imagine one of them being like, hey, Aaron, did you see that? You know, like, I just need to make sure I wasn't the only one. Like, was it the tacos? Was it the Lord? Like, um, the reality is they have a decision to make. They have a decision to make that what they just saw changes them because they could have just as easily said, that was great news, probably for other more important people. Or that was great news, probably for less busy people. We've got sheep to manage. They could have made that decision Or they could do what we find in the text. The angels went away from them into heaven. The shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Verse 15, don't miss the faith that's there. They did not say, let's go see if it happened. Their language is let us go to Bethlehem and see the thing that has happened. God announced it. They fully believed it this has happened today. The Savior, the Messiah, the Christ has been born to you. And they said, we're going to go see that. They had a leaving faith. They heard God at his word. And they said, we are going to leave the mountainside. We're going to leave the hill. We're going to go because God is doing something there and God has told us to go. So they leave the hillside. They went with haste and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of the eighth day, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus. The name given him by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. This Jesus is at the center of all of this. So the shepherds, they took it in. They took in the good news. They walked it out. They left the hillside. They went with the good news. They tell about it. They share the good news. And then they walk away praising God because the good news has been experienced by them. This is just the basic summary of a believer's life. You take it in. You walk it out. You tell of what God has done. And you spend the rest of your time praising God. It's a good day but we have to be willing to leave once we hear it. That's what faith is. Faith is not receiving the news. Faith is not having a quiet time, reading the Bible. Faith is not hearing the song or or re-quoting what you read somewhere else. Faith is not going to church. Faith is living in the light what you heard in the dark. Faith, say that again, is living in the dark what you heard in the light. Get a little excited sometimes. It's the fact that when they're with the angels hearing it, that's wonderful. But that's no act of faith. That's just the kindness of God delivering to them what is true. Faith is when the lights go out and the night hits and it's dark and they're back to their regular life. Will it change? Will it change them? Will they live according to that truth, to that moment later? We already saw that Mary did. Mary had a faith that heard this and was willing to walk it all the way out. And If no other angel showed up, it didn't matter because she was gonna keep doing what God had sent her to do. Now the shepherds, the lights go out, no one else has to know, but they say, we heard this in the light now that it's nighttime again, now that the dark is here, we're, we're gonna leave. We're gonna go and experience exactly what God has for us. That is faith. It's why James writes about faith the way he does. That faith without works is dead. You have to have a, a, a leaving faith. And in this way, the the shepherds, they leave the hillside. And I imagine Mary again, who's sitting there. And and we don't know her thoughts, but perhaps she's going, okay, Jesus is here. What now? You told me to do this, and I've done this. What's happening? And there's no fanfare. There's no glory. There's no angel that's there. Her in a crowded stable and a newborn. And suddenly, breaking through are these shepherds, who come flying around the corner and look in and are blown away. That's a baby in a manger. Can you believe it? And and I have to think, how could Mary have believed that God was still with her unless somebody told her? And how is someone going to tell her unless someone preaches? And how how is someone going to preach unless someone sent? Romans 10 says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. It quotes Isaiah 52. I have to wonder if Mary knew Isaiah 52. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. And then here, from the beautiful feet of the shepherds, publishing peace, peace among men, publishing salvation, the Savior has been born, publishing happiness, joy, good news of great joy for all people. Maybe she watches that unfold and her heart stirs up and she hears that whisper, your God reigns. You've not been forgotten. Your obedience is still right in the middle of what God wants. The earthly narrative is that this is out of place and poorly timed and doesn't matter. It's insignificant, it's uncomfortable. That's the earthly narrative. The heavenly narrative is that you're exactly where you're supposed to be, exactly the people that God wanted to use at the exact right time in history. Nothing about this is out of place. The earthly narrative might think so. Not the heavenly one. Your God reigns. He's in control of all of this. That is great news. That's the news that we have to receive and be able to walk in. We have to believe God's word. Have the faith. Have the faith in God's word that that reveals your place in God's work. That's what it does. When you really believe God's word, when you really believe the message that God's given you, that God has come, that God has rescued, that God has made you, that your life is not out of place and you're not in the wrong spot and none of those things, but God still reigns. When you believe that and live like that, it leads you into your place in God's work. For Mary, it was delivering the son of God. For the shepherds, it was to be the first evangelist who got to bring the good news. For you, find out. Have faith. Have faith that God is still reigning. His story is still being written. And no matter what the earthly narrative is, the heavenly one is that God is glorified through Jesus. Make no mistake, all this comes back to Jesus. The declaration of the good news was not about what we get, it's about who Jesus was. He was Savior, he was Christ, he was Lord. If there's one spot of faith I would ask you to consider, it's what you believe about Jesus Christ, because that belief will change everything. And I'd ask you to believe the heavenly narrative. Believe what's been announced. Believe what God has said to be true. And if you've never stepped out on faith, having a a leaving faith, and that's the question, do you have a leaving faith? Do you have a faith that you've heard the good news and you are willing to leave behind insecurity, leave behind sin, leave behind addiction, leave behind doubt, leave behind expectation, leave behind an earthly narrative of what you need and what you should have and who you need to be? Are you willing to leave all of those things because you believe what God has said to be true? If you've taken that step before in your own life, if you've had a moment of faith that you say, you know what, I, I am. I'm, I'm leaving the way things appear. So follow Jesus for the way things are. If you've done that, my encouragement to you is keep walking. Walk by faith, not by sight. Keep following. Take another step. Believe more deeply. Follow more richly. Hear it on Sunday. Walk out and live it tonight and live it tomorrow and live it Tuesday. Have your quiet time. Close the Bible and say, I'm going to live today as uncomfortable and glorious as my schedule might be, as though God still reigns. And if you've never taken that step, that's the invitation. The invitation is that Jesus broke through the darkness and invites you to be made right with God. Leave behind, finding identity, finding, living in sin, pursuing everything else. Acknowledge God for who he is. And follow him. Follow him into the purpose he saved you to. Let's pray together. God, I ask that you would move us over these next three minutes to reflect on you and respond to you. I thank you for your word. I thank you that it has broke through to our lives. Um, Lord, I thank you that we know the heavenly story is true. You are glorified. You have rescued us. You are Savior. You are Christ. You are Lord. And that changes everything for us. Lord, we love you. Would you move our hearts today so we leave here differently? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. so much for taking time out of your day to listen to our podcast we hope that you've been encouraged and challenged to take steps closer to jesus make sure to subscribe to this podcast leave a review share with your friends it really does make a difference and lastly make sure to follow us on all of our social media at fbc jinx to keep up with all that's going on in the life of our church again thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next week